Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Venture Property Podcast, and thank you so much for listening. I know that we live in this absolutely, really crazy world where we can get everything instantly. So I really, really do appreciate the fact that you listen to this podcast. And if you have got something from it, please do me a favor and share this podcast with as many people as possible. Because as you know, I want more and more people to listen to it, more and more people who listen to it, the better interviews I'll be able to get. Um, and then the more knowledge you guys are going to get. I've been interviewing some really interesting people over the last few weeks, and today is no exception. He's a really, really great guy, one of my favorite people in property, and that's Darren Kirkby. I will get into that interview shortly, but before I do, I've got to tell you that we are sponsored by Land Insight. Now, Land Insight reached out to me about how we could work collaboratively. Normally, I don't like that kind of thing because I'm just like, you just want to try and sell me something. This time was slightly different because I'm a huge fan of their product and what they're wanting to achieve, and I use it on a daily basis. So I use this software to not only find my deals, but to pull together all of the information I need around them. It is a very powerful tool, especially in deal finding. So if you are interested in using that software, if you drop me an email, ryan at ventureprofitylincoln.co.uk, I can get you an extended trial on that product. So, into the podcast. Today, I have Darren Kirkby. How are you doing, Darren? Morning, Ryan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yes, very well, thank you. Very well, indeed. You absolute gentleman. Look straight in asking me how I am. <laughs> You've been listening to these, yeah. haven't you? <laughs> I've listened to a few, I must say, yeah. Thanking you. Why don't you tell the audience then, the people listening, how it was that you came to be involved in property? Yeah, um, I got involved in property about 14 years ago. Um, as really a, a sideline to what I was doing, I had a career in the city, um, in IT infrastructure, um, and saw property as uh, a vehicle for kind of building long-term wealth, really. Um, so just started to invest in um, single buy-to-lets initially with no kind of real strategy other than kind of as, as long as the property paid for itself, then I would just work off the, the capital appreciation. Wow. You also spent a bit of time in New York, did you not? I did, yeah. I was uh, yeah very fortunate enough uh, to, to run a multi-million dollar project out in New York um, for the hedge fund that I work for and um, built their two data centers out there. Um, and so I was there over, over a period of six to seven months, I would spend two weeks in New York and then two weeks back in the UK and then vice versa. So uh, yeah, um, it's a massive favorite city of mine. Yeah, it's me too as well. But how was it? I'm just going to ask a question that I want answering now anyway. don't know if the listeners do, but how, was, how different was it from going there working to going there as a, as a tourist? Yeah, it's, it's actually very different because you get to see it with a different set of eyes, obviously, because you're getting up and going to work every day and, and mixing with people that live out there. Um, you get to see the other side or what I call the other side of the city because obviously a lot of the locals don't go to all the tourist attractions that we would go to. Yep. Um, they go to the, you know, the, the outskirts of the city. 
um, various different areas within the city um, and obviously across the water into Brooklyn, which is now becoming the, the new Manhattan um, of New York. So where, if there's like one place that you would recommend then to really see it as the locals do, what would that be? Uh, that's an interesting one, actually. I like both. There's two, actually. There's Chelsea Village oh, um, and there's the Lower East Side as well. And the Lower East Side is a bit edgy. It's kind of Shoreditch-like. Yeah. Um, but there's some really, really cool places and places to go and eat. And it's just a really cool vibe, you know. So, yeah, definitely recommend both of those places. I bet when you opened the computer to come on this podcast today, you wasn't thinking it was going to turn into a travel podcast, was you? No, definitely not. But yeah, I mean, I've not been to New York now for a couple of years and itching to go back, actually. Get it booked. Let's organise a trip. I'll go with you. Yeah. <clears throat> property on top. Exactly. So <laughs> now let's pull it back onto property. The current state of the market, what do you think about that? And what opportunities do you feel are out there at the moment? it's very that's a very interesting question because i think there's always opportunity in every market um it's just a case of identifying that opportunity and aligning that with your strategy um we're in a hugely ever-changing world and um you know there's obviously many strategies you can use you know the the really popular ones which is service accommodation hmos um but I just feel that there's, there's a, outside of property, there's kind of a distinct change in what I call the millennial. So I guess your age, Ryan, really. Um, uh, kind of your mid-20s to early 30s. And they're kind of wanting, my feeling is that they're kind of wanting a different um, experience out of their life. Yeah. And therefore, that's going to affect their living habits. So obviously, that's going to affect property. Um, and I believe we're entering into an era of, um, becoming kind of less about property, but more about service-driven um, service-driven accommodation. So space as a service in the in the kind of working model. So that's kind of co-working, um, and then with what we call these digital nomads, where these guys just working or girls working from coffee shops all over the world and being able to go from here, there, and everywhere, and it doesn't really matter as long as they've got an internet connection that obviously affects their living habits. So that, that kind of brings us to a co-living model. So I think there's a lot of opportunity in that emerging market, and that's something that I'm very, very interested in and very passionate about, and you and I have had quite a few conversations around that. Um, but I think coming back to the traditional investment model, um, I think it's quite challenging, personally. I think it's quite challenging in a sense of purchasing property at the right money um, which is obviously one of the key fundamentals because you make a large part of your profit on when you purchase um, and also um, from a from a finance perspective it's challenging and what I mean by that specifically is valuations um, and I get this underlying feeling within the market at the moment that there's a lot of risk averse version taking place um, Yes, lenders want to lend, but their criteria is a lot more stricter. And also the valuers now are becoming very, very risk averse um, to the point where I find their valuations are very, very conservative. 
uh, and we've recently had to pull out of a, of a deal because of that reason, because of the end valuation come back so, so low, lower than what we'd actually um, estimated in our appraisal. It just wasn't viable for us to do the deal um, and wasn't viable for us to take that risk. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but yeah, yeah that's kind of where I see uh, the state of the market. Yeah, I completely agree. And I've wrote down one question here to ask you, and it's one that I, I find all the time. And it's why things are so expensive at the moment. You know, you go to speak to vendors and everything seems to be so expensive. You know, I looked at a plot of land in Lincoln a few weeks ago um, and they've got a planning gain on it. And they're now asking for like 50, 60%, where it used to be 30, 30, 30. And why do you think things are so expensive then at the moment? Well, I just think uh, my feeling is that a lot of vendors um, are still two years ago, if that makes sense. So they're still at the height of the market. I don't think the market's taken a dip. I think the market's very flat. And obviously that's dependent on specific areas. But... um, yeah, I think they've not realigned um, their expectations. And I think their feelings is that if they hold on long enough, um, they'll get what they want. And they may well do that. You know, there's a lot of people out there who don't necessarily do their appraisals, don't necessarily approach it from, you know, the, the, the perspective that you and I would um, and would go and purchase that. But then I'm seeing this locally. You've seen a lot of projects go unfinished because people people are not have not done their numbers and they've not, um, you know, priced in fluctuations from you know from uh, finance costs to materials perspective, and that's a whole other thing that we could talk about is materials. Yeah, so I just don't think that the the kind of the vendors have caught up with where the market is yet. I think you've answered that really really well and i completely agree with you and another thing that i've picked up on you're saying there it's about the appraisal um and i know that me and you have had discussions at length about how we look at at risk and how we look at different projects and you have there's a very small number of people that i've met in the property world that look at um, appraisals and deals the same way that, that you and i do why yeah. don't you just explain explain what we mean by that to the listeners? Yeah, so it's it's a case of when you're looking at a potential uh, deal, potential site, in your appraisal, um, instead of just looking at this big lofty headline return on investment or initial rate of return or GDV, it's looking at... Um, tweaking the numbers and, and going through various scenarios. And I know you and Kim do this and it's to say, okay, so this, you know, you do your initial appraisal when stage one, you say, okay, that looks like it's a deal. That looks like it meets our criteria in our, in terms of our returns, in terms of our time scales, in terms of our risk. Okay. So that's great. So that's ideal scenario one. So what happens then if during the life cycle of this project, material costs change between seven and 10%. What does that then look like? What does that then do to our GDV? And it's, and I guess you could, some listeners listening to this might say, well, then you'll make a deal, not a deal. But you want to know that up front. And it's obviously dependent on your risk profile, but you want to know that before you're midway 
through that project and at that point where material top costs do change 7% or you know where you're, you've got delays and therefore it's going to affect your finance costs. So it's really understanding that uh, in detail. And I know you've had a couple of really good people on the podcast, Manish and, and Thomas, um, who really do that in um, a very, very good uh, way of understanding their risk. And obviously everybody's different as well, which is a key thing to remember. Um, so when you're analysing your risk, my risk might be different to your risk, right? And, 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 and vice versa, you know, um, and other people might look at this different. And I think a lot of that depends on how they structure it as well. Um, so some people might be buying, buying their deals in cash. So their risk and, and their reward is going to be a lot different to somebody who's financing that deal. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really understanding that. And you don't it doesn't necessarily need to be this massive, big, huge spreadsheet. It just needs to be something which aligns with your objectives for your investment. Um, and like I said, everybody's risk and everybody's approach will be different, which is why sometimes when you look at deals and you, and you see deals being bought for, for X amount, you're kind of thinking, well, how, how are people making that work? It's because their fundamentals and their risk and the way they're buying it is different to what you're doing it. So um, I realise I went a little bit off on a tangent there. But it, yeah, it's, it's fundamentally understanding day one before you put a, a spade in the ground, you know where you're at and you know that you've de-risked it as much as you can um, before you go forward with it. I think you've answered that absolutely perfectly. And one of the, like one of the things that I picked up on there is... It, you come from a position of experience and when, and I've definitely found this, when you put those appraisals together this way, the way that we're talking about and you're approaching investors or even lenders, you are so much more sophisticated. You're so much more experienced and you're so much trustworthy as well. Because for example, at the minute there's like a 20 lead, a 20 week lead time on certain bricks. Now, if you haven't factored that into your numbers and you yeah. go and build 10 houses like I am, and yeah. you haven't factored in the fact that there's going to be a massive lead time on bricks, and you're also probably behind the big buyers on those bricks anyway, that's going to yeah. hold your finance costs. It's going to add to your finance costs. It's going to delay your project or yeah. the market. And to explain all of that to potential investors, I think it's just such an ace in the deck for you because the ace in the hand, sorry, because you're just like this, all of these things could go wrong. Yeah. And this is what we're going to do if they yeah. go wrong. And yeah, definitely. I think, and that, I think that's very key. The point that you made there about time, that is something which I found through experience that I've underestimated in the past. Yeah. And time is, is this, it's almost like this um, in, in some ways unknown cost because, yeah. you know, it, it might not, you know, when you think about time, you think, well, how's that going to affect my cost? Well, it, it can affect it massively for the reasons you've just explained, you know, material delays um, and, and then impacting your finance costs. It, it, is, it is huge. But, you know, and, it, and equally, you don't want to overestimate time because it, it could make a deal, not a deal. And I think a lot of that will come through experience and a lot of that will come through talking to other people that have done the thing that you want to do. Um, and I think that's, really really key is and that is having that network of people that you can talk to um who have done what you've already you're 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 doing to kind of leverage their knowledge and experience 
Um, and yeah, I think that is very, very valid. It's just, it's just the way that, that we see it now. I think experience plays a massive part, but you, you are saying some fantastic things and I'm just going to keep picking on them. And I really like the one about the millennials and how everything is changing in this world. And just yeah. picking up on what you're saying about they wanted service. One of the things that I've always thought is that depend, business is very, very similar. It's just what it trades or what it does is, is different. So the service aspect goes across all businesses. If you serve people well, then you are going to always keep them and your business will survive. If you look yep. at companies like Amazon, which are taking over the world, but their service is excellent, and yep. those are us, which are struggling. Yeah. Uh, and exactly the same with the restaurant game. It's a really, really tough game at the minute. But then I look at someone like Nando's or Wagamama's, keeping it simple. I mean, Wagamama's have just brought yeah. an app where you can pay for your meal before you leave. Oh, really? That's I cool. And uh, well, me and you would geek out about that for ages. Yeah, definitely. What kind really? of yeah. things do you see in the business world or the property world as a whole then with service? question i know yeah. yeah i think um yeah i think you're absolutely right i think service is very key and, and i think historically we've not necessarily looked at businesses like that um business like that sorry and i think property definitely hasn't looked at it like that but i think property needs to yeah. as an industry we need to now start looking at it's a service we're not just providing a room or you know a two-bedroom flat we're now providing a service and and the millennials are used to having this instant service. You know, to pick up on what you said about Amazon, you know, Amazon are now doing stuff in London where you order it and within an hour it's there. So, you know, we're entering this world where 20 and 30 year olds, that's what they're going to expect. And that's what they're going to expect from their accommodation. And that's what they're going to expect from, from their, their, um, their, you know, their living arrangements. So for them to have to wait, for example, for um, something to be fixed 28 to 48 hours, they're just not going to put up with that. Um, you know, they're going to want everything to be accessible on demand and they're going to become very frustrated if that's not provided. And if, if you as a business don't understand what your market wants and, and can provide what they want, you're not going to be in business very long. And I think now more than ever, that's, that's more relevant in a sense that, very very quickly because of how things move you, you you can be out of business um very very quickly and i think um you know yeah it's it's, it's really understanding that so you know we're almost coming back to, to the amazon model in that everything's instant um so i just kind of lost my train of thought there was where i was going to go with the whole co-living side of things but um I'll yeah out of you don't you worry <laughs> i know where i want to take you on <laughs> Just go picking up on the point about the instant and if you're not getting things fixed quick enough as well. Yeah. If, um, I mean, people use Snapchat, Instagram yes. all the time. If yeah. you haven't fixed something for them, what do you think they're going to do with it? It's going to be on their Instagram, oh, yeah. Snapchat, yeah. Instagram friends. This is going to move very, very quickly and then your reputation is going to be hit by it. And yeah. Yeah, huge. Yeah. And I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think when previously, maybe 10 years ago, for example, you would have, you know, Trustpilot, and we've still got that now, but people that would put bad reviews, 
your bad reviews now are instant into the marketplace and to tens of thousands of people. Yeah. Um, and we're entering this world where this, the, the whole influencer model is now becoming very relevant. And I apologize if people don't really understand the whole marketing side of it, but influencer influencers are these people who have, you know, a, a relatively small following around 10,000 people, but people hang on their every word or everything that they do. And therefore, my point is, is that if, if they experience bad product or bad service, you know, they can put that message out to their 10,000 followers instantly who hang on their every word and, and God knows how many people they're connected to. And instantly your brand can be tarnished and to try and recover from that would just be you know, horrendous really. Um, but you know, how does that relate to property? It relates to property coming back to service. You know, you want to be known to, to give the best possible service you can give to, to your clients. And like you say, we're in that instant world and it's ever changing. And just picking up about what you said about the current state of the market, I completely agree with you on the, what millennials are wanting now. Yeah. My friends, they, they're not fussed. They, they want this digital nomad lifestyle. And yeah. I could quite, and I've, I've said this openly to many, many people. And even I was at a, a growth conference with the Lincoln City Council a couple of weeks ago, and I was involved in the smart cities debate. And I said that I believe that people are going to end up just paying a subscription-based payment because everything is going subscription-based anyway. I agree. Yep. They will have access to a room in San Francisco if they want to check into it. There'll be a big company, and it might we might even end up being in prime co-living if we go that way because Amazon might pick up on this. Yeah. But then you will literally be able to just book into a place, take your laptop, go and do your work, and people will work all over the world. You'll be able to just have a chat with your boss like we are chatting now. And this co living model is just going to be absolutely huge and so interconnected. I'd love to know your thoughts on where it's going, why it's going that way. And because uh, I know that this is a topic that you are so. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I think it's exactly that. You know, there's been, and I can't remember who said it now, this whole concept of having a Roman, roaming tenancy agreement. Um, I don't think it was WeWork that, that put this out, but essentially the concept is, is that you have a global tenancy agreement and you can basically work from anywhere in the world and you can just rock up at a room, at a flat, um, you know, in key cities in the world and you can live there for however long you want to live and then you can just pick your stuff up, fly to another part of the world and then start living and working there. So I think that is the reality of the world. You know, the world is a, a massively smaller place than what it was even five years ago now um and that is what we're faced with and that's why i said it from the outset you know we are becoming a service-based industry and property needs to realize that you know we uh, you know, the subscription-based model that you mentioned uh, that's very very um a re i think that's a reality that is going to happen um even you know you only have to look at cars now you know who's who really is going to buy a new car now you're going to lease a car it's just so much cheaper and easier to lease a car um there's there's talk of leasing mobile phones as they become more expensive so we are going to go to this subscription-based model and, and and tenancies and living arrangements are going to be like that there's even um 
a, a company up in Manchester, I believe, who have taken um, the whole um, build to rent model a step further um, in providing a, a lifestyle. So, and this is not the flat based model. They're, they're actually providing, it's a housing estate where you have two, three and four bedroom houses. Um, you select which house you want, you pay for that monthly and included in that monthly um, payment is all of your garden maintenance, all of your house maintenance, all of the kind of life admin that people just don't want to do or won't want to do in the future now. Um, so literally, it's almost like you're, you're just paying for this luxury hotel for a longer period of time. And you just put your stuff in there, you live in it. Anything else that needs doing outside of you, know, you living there is taken care of by a service company. Um, and I think that's definitely the way that, is, that it's going to go. And it, especially with housing becoming more and more unaffordable, mm. people are going to gravitate towards that model. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and it's, this, it's this instantaneous, you know, everything is instantaneous. Yeah. So if you can just pass that off effectively and then somebody else will do it, then yeah. you will pay for that. I had a discussion with Sarah over the bank holiday weekend because I was stuck in traffic and there was an ironing van in front of me and I was yeah. chatting about it. And I said, you know what? I could quite easily see people not having any disposable income anymore but mm. having everything taken care of and I mean everything like so going back to the, the co-working and the co-living you know everything is is paid for for them in one payment so they'll yeah. be able to have their ironing done they'll be able to have their drinks included everything will just basically yeah. become an all-inclusive life exactly yeah I mean that's that's a good phrase actually an all-inclusive life yeah definitely and I think that's you know that's the way it, it goes and I think the um, the collective is a prime example of that. The big co-working development down in in North London. That's pretty much, you know, how that environment runs. You you literally have dry cleaners that come and fetch your your, your washing and bring it back. You know, you have uh, an on-demand um, massage service. You have a gym on site. You have um, offices on site. You know, these little incubators. Um, of, of new businesses that are popping up within your space and they create this whole environment this whole community um, for, the, for the price of you know of your room or your your flat per month and, and and then people don't need to think about that anymore it's just their one payment and their life is sorted you know they can get on and do the stuff that they want to do yeah um, yeah I um, so I was on a, a video podcast last week and they were talking about the impact that um this is having on the high street yeah and i've got this belief actually and it comes from talking to people who are younger than me who are experienced this who are involved in this they are more social and that was the issue they said oh well the high streets are, are, are dying out no they're just changing you know yeah. there's lots of coffee shops there's lots yeah. more social do you do you agree with me that this is making the world, although, yes, we are more engaged with technology, but technology, I have my own belief on technology, and I think it, it actually aids us, and it does allow us to automate tasks and do things so that we can get involved more socially. Do you agree with me? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree 100%. I agree 100%. And I think because everything is so accessible, everything is so instantaneous, people now have more time. 
and, and with that time, they're not just sitting there and doing nothing. They are socializing um, a hell of a lot more. Um, and, they're, and they're looking for more challenges in life, which is this, is, this is definitely going off on a tangent, but I'm going to go there anyway. Um, and it's, and it's, I read this article recently about um, because we are entering a more of a sanitized life where, you know, if I want something, I've run out in the kitchen, I can just go onto Amazon Prime and it's there the next day. I don't have to worry about going out and doing the, the life admin, the chores. People are now looking for more challenges and more experiences. Um, and this is why this whole concept of um, tough mother and all the rest of it has come as is the fastest growing sport in the world by the way now which is this obstacle course racing but people are looking for more of those challenges because everything else in their life is taken care of yeah and so they are becoming more social you know you're looking at um coffee shops is a prime example of that where you have you know people meeting up in their various different clubs for coffee you know the, the Back in my day, it was people would go to the pub. The pub kind of culture's been and gone. It's more around coffee shops and community and clubs and groups, and, and people are engaging a lot more. So I wouldn't say that technology is taking us away and making us more um, kind of, um, what's the word, introverted or kind of um, you know hibernating. We're actually coming out because we've got more time to do things completely agree with you and one of the i work really closely with visit lincoln and they've done something recently that was called an insta meet okay so they harnessed technology they got like 30 people together all at a designated time and they all added each other on instagram and then they were given a tour of lincoln cathedral where the best instagram worthy photos were and <laughs> you know what honestly it's a I've, when I heard about it, I was like, this is an amazing idea because you've got a group of people together who don't know each other, who yeah. all now are connected via social media, and they're all having a social experience and, a, and fun. Yeah. I think yeah. it's amazing. It is, definitely. And that's, um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole technology side of it is just, it's crazy and it's really ridiculous and how close we are to people now and how we can connect and communicate with people um you know a prime example of that is ari who you had on your podcast a few episodes ago you know years ago you would have never been able to connect to him and get him get access to him that quickly not that he's some kind of big celebrity it's just the connectivity and how close we are to people and how we can communicate yeah exactly and then the knock-on of that i think you're exactly right people are looking for different challenges and it's springing up these amazing experiences and these amazing businesses that yeah. provide that experience and provide that service and those different challenges i'm doing a something called there's a company called clued up and basically okay. i bought a ticket for me and up to six people in a team and right. it's, it's the end of april and it's a murder mystery tour around the city Right. And you're like, do you know, that, these people that think technology are holding us back and making us more introverted, that's crazy because that is a prime example of something yeah. different, something yeah. unique, and I'm going to experience uh, a, my city, but in a different way. Yeah. Just, oh, I'm so, so excited by the way that this world is, is working. And, oh. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but just one, one other point I want to make, and, and that's kind of around co-working um you know 10 years ago there was this big shift around 
especially in the corporate world, around homeworking. Everybody, everybody wanted to work at home because they were at home um, and they were close to their family and all of that. That's actually shifted back towards people wanting to be in a community, being back towards in, in offices, but flexible office space. Yep. So, you know, technology is a big, a big driver for that, but also connecting with people is a big driver for that because it's very, very isolating working at home on your own. Um, but if you can be around people in a, in a, in a collaborative community type space, um, people are gravitating back towards going into, into offices and, and cool flexible working space. Mm, I completely agree. And I know that in, um, in Lincoln, one of the big things that we've had is trying to keep the talent. And I believe those kinds of flexible workspaces, that, well, I know for a fact because I know the guys at work life, and they keep the talents, and big companies keep the talent because that is exactly what they want. Yeah. It goes back to that point that you made about knowing your market. And that's something that I think that you do very, very well. Um, you know your market and you're very, very good with, with social media, which yeah. once you pair those two together, it's just the world, genuine, the opportunities are endless and the world is such a global place and you can get to it so why don't you tell me about how good you your new company is on social media yeah so my new company is social tree um which is a social media digital marketing um agency um and the reason that i've decided to go down this route is a because you know i love technology but B, also, I found that um, a lot of people are on social media, but not a lot of people are putting their story, their clear and consistent message out there. So it's almost the analogy that I use is a lot of social media is, is almost like a message in a bottle. Yeah. Where somebody puts their message out there and they float it out into the, the big social platforms and they hope that somebody picks it up. Whereas you need to be very clear and consistent in your story. You need to be very clear and consistent in terms of who, you, who it is you want to engage with. And this is not necessarily just about attracting more business, attracting more sales. Obviously, from a business perspective, that's very key. But just generally in, in the message that you're putting out on your, on your socials, it's about making sure that you know who it is you want to connect and engage with. And it's this whole concept of building your tribe. Um, and we kind of come back to the, the influencer marketing side of things that I mentioned earlier. And that is, you know, every, everybody's got a story, and everybody's got a message, and there will be people that will resonate with what your story and your message is. Um, and you can build your tribe and you can build your, um, you know, your, um, yeah, your group, I guess, um, and you can and engage with them at a much closer level, really. Um, so yeah, it's um it's an exciting exciting times, um, and the, the agency's in its early stages. We've got two clients at the moment, um, which we're working with. Um, so yeah, I really like the fact that because I have the same belief as you with social. I was actually wording along with you and I didn't even know what you was going to say next and I completely agreed and it was the the hope that people get the story and it yeah. goes back to that if you build it they will come no they won't 
Do you know what? They really won't. If you look yeah. at some of the fastest growing companies out there right now, Gymshark comes to the forefront straight away. Guess yeah. what they're using? Personal branding and stories. And they're yeah. attracting the kind of target market that yeah. they want. And yeah. I think it's such, do you know what? It's such a key component now of the world we live in. And it's going back to that service. You know, everything is service. If people can relate to you and you can offer that good service, you're going to do very well. Yeah. And, that, and it's personal. Yes. And that, that's key. It's, it's, it's personal and people relating to you. And that's why the, the influencer market space is massive at the moment because people want to engage with people. You know, to, to an example, you know, if you get this big lofty film star, and to take Jim's Shark as an example, um, who's advertising all their brands and they're a gold medalist and all that. Yeah, that's great. People, people can see that and they like that. But if you get somebody who's got Jim Shark's outfits on and they're, they're a busy mum or they're a busy dad and they're managing to fit the gym in every day and they're posting up what they're doing, people can relate to that so much more. And they're more inclined to engage with that person to engage with that brand because they can associate with it and it's not too distant from where they are um, and I think that's that's really really key and that is service again isn't it service yes. utilizing the technology that you have available um, and then just just getting that right and I think that's one of the things that you will do very I know you will do well with, with your customers because you are very very good at knowing their target market, breaking that down and getting precise. Do you think that's because we seem to reverse engineer things? Certain people reverse engineer things, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to start at the end. You know, you have, instead of, instead of um, taking the traditional approach, and that is, well, I've got social media, I've got these profiles, I'm just going to put this message out there. No, 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 that's not what you want to do. You will need to understand who it is um, you're targeting do, what problems do they have? Do they actually need your service? Find that out. And it's very easy to find that out now. Um, and then provide consistent, clear content that serves their, what they need, serves what they want. Um, so, yeah, it's very much about flipping it on its head and working from the end backwards. So before I answer you, ask you the three questions I always ask everybody, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? Um, well, I'm on obviously all over social media. So my personal um, profiles is Darren Kirby um, on Facebook, and then it's at UK Kirby One on Instagram, um, and at UK Kirby on Twitter, um, and then there's um, at Social Tree Two which is our um, social handles for the social media agency. Uh, and then your property company, which is a development company, um, is um, yeah, similar across all of those platforms and uh, website as well, yourpropertycompany.co.uk. Seems very strange saying you've got a website now because that seems so, so old-fashioned to me, but there you go. It does because everybody seems to use social media, but then yeah. I like to use the social media to point to my content on the website but then i'm yeah I'm yeah definitely to do things a little bit differently anyway so are you ready for the three questions i am ready yes so when you think of the word successful who is the first person who comes to mind and why 
Um, the first, but oh, I've got a number, but the first person is Warren Buffett. Yeah. Um, just simply because of his approach to investment. Yeah. Um, and he very much approaches it from, from a, a risk perspective and a research and analysis perspective. And um, he's just been massively successful. But I think the key point about Warren is that he's been consistent. So if you read any of his books, you know, he, he's not been this overnight success that a lot of people think, but he's just via compounding. Um, he's, he's just consistently and persistently just worked the same thing throughout his career and he's been hugely successful from it. So yeah, he's, he's the, uh, he's the first one and the second one's Richard Branson. Yeah. I think that's pretty similar for a lot of us, isn't it? Branson yeah. is that. I mean, I often find myself thinking, I'm in a situation, I think, what would Branson do? Yeah, yeah. And then usually it's some outlandish PR stunt. <laughs> yeah. A lot, of, uh, a lot of media attention. But just picking up on that point of compounding, yes. I'm a massive, massive fan of compounding. And I speak to the, my traders about it. Yeah. I'm all about Betfair. And you don't, it's when you actually put the numbers down in front of them and show them how it compounds, just a few percent here and there, and compound it, and compound it, compound it, and show them the long term benefit. Yeah. It's staggering, isn't it? It is staggering. And it's, it's in the beginning, it's trying to get that across in the beginning because when, you, when you're looking at the numbers in the beginning, they don't seem that, that great. And it's all of a sudden, it starts to get momentum and then just. It, yeah, just manifesting and and just magnifies really. So yeah, boom, that's mental. So question number two, and the listeners will know that you can actually get a chance to win the answer to question number two and everybody else's answers to question number two. So I always ask this question to everybody that comes on, and then what I do is when I post the uh, the links to the podcast up on social media, if you share that post then you get an entry into the competition. And at the end of the month, I draw it and I send you all of the books. So what is the book that has had the biggest impact on you? That is very interesting. Um, I would say it is um, Think and Grow Rich is, is the one that's had the biggest impact. Um, just purely because it, you know, although it's quite an old book and I listen to the audio actually rather than read it, um, it's quite old in its, in its um, dialogue. It just, you know, that, I think that was produced in 1937 or 1933, I can't remember exactly. Today, um, and persistency and consistency um, is, is, you know, something that you need no matter what you do, whether it's investing or otherwise. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, um, it's something that I go back to quite often. Um, so yeah, it's that, that book I'd say. I might also add a sub question into that as well. Like if there's one book that you could instantly forget when you finished reading it, what would that book be? Like a book that you just enjoyed that much and you're like, God, I wish I could forget this so I could relive that whole thing. I might add that question. In. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Yeah. My internet has started to just misbehave. So yes. still here. Yes, you're still here. Good. Last question before I let you get on with your day is what is the worst advice you see or hear in the property?
Nazi world. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's lots, uh, really. Um, the worst, or the, yeah, the worst advice, really. Advice. You know, you can do all of this with, with none of your own money. I don't think that's really relevant. People coming into this world that we, that we exist in, um, coming with the notion that you can kind of do all of this with, with no money and, um, you know. I'm going to have to get you to that one again. Okay. Um, Tell you what, just in at least I've stayed calm. Normally I start going crazy. Ah, uh, I think. Yeah, you sound clearer now. Right, twenty seconds. I don't know why it does this. Right, okay. It's asking again. Yeah. Oh, it's got me through. Yeah, now. you're. You're going a bit robot noise. Yeah, like uh, 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 oh. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It cut in. You're there. Well, uh, yeah, you're going robot on me now. Oh, man. So you what? Right. Can you hear me? Oh, Lord. 